This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. This time on the Fedora Chronicles radio show, we have special guest Tom Conkle, director, co-writer, and star of the independent movie Trouble Is My Business. When we weren't rustling with Skype's outages, we were discussing the love for film noir and classic film, the creative process while maintaining your autonomy, and handling criticism. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So, uh, hello, Fedora Chronicles. This is Tom Conkle. I am uh, the uh, director, uh, the star, and co-writer of um, Trouble Is My Business, which is a 1940s um, crime thriller done in a film noir style. And I had a chance to look at it last week, and it's probably one of the most entertaining independent movies I have seen in recent memory um, for, for a whole host of reasons. I, I don't know if I want to spoil anything right now, um, but let's, well, thank you. let's, let's start with you and, and your humble beginnings. Uh, where did you come from and how did you get into film? Um, I originally, uh, grew up just outside of Washington, DC in, uh, Alexandria, Virginia area. Uh, so I'm kind of, uh, seeped in history there. You know, my local news was, uh, was all the stuff happening in Washington. I, uh, ended up, uh, being very taken by film early. You know, that was something that I bonded with my dad. Uh, going to movies, and I kind of fell in love with the movies very early. And, and actually, a funny story is, I, when I was very young, I, they took me to see Star Wars. And on the on the car ride back from the movie, I looked up at my parents and I said, "I'm moving away uh, as soon as I can. I'm moving to Los Angeles." And my mom goes, "Well, what are you going to do with us?" And little me goes, "I'm going to put you in the home." <laughs> that's how that's how hardcore i was about wanting to do it and sure enough uh as soon as i graduated i went to american university uh studied theater there uh film communications you know kind of got a, a grounding in both performance and film at the time but right after i graduated packed everything that i owned into the back of my car and four and a half days i drove across country uh, to LA and, uh, as they say, burned the boats so that you couldn't go back Yeah, and, uh, found a place and, uh, began to make my way. It's, a, it's an interesting story in that, at least to me, um, that I started as a, as a director, you know, having a background in, in live performance, but ended up acting, uh, after I directed and my acting career became my sort of day job for, almost 17 years and I would direct some things here and there, but I didn't, you know, give myself permission to take on a lot of stuff. But then when the internet came up, I started doing short form stuff and realizing that I was back in touch with the guy who used to make these films and do all this stuff. Right. And trouble is my business came out of my love of cinema because to me, one of the pure forms of cinema is film noir. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I've been fixing everybody else's stuff. I've been making everybody else money. I want to make 
a film that I want to see that that I love, and that's the '40s and that style. Yeah. And the reason they made film noir so lean back then was those were considered sort of the quote unquote B movies. You know, right. they didn't have a lot of money for the sets and stuff, so they they found interesting ways to light it. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm trying to do this as a little indie the same way. What if, you know, John Houston or Orson Welles had digital cameras and they were like, you know what, I don't have big sets. How do I make this visually interesting? And to me, noir is people stylishly sitting, saying clever things and having this sort of twisted plot and, and interesting characters. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that instead of what everyone else does, which is, you know, a zombie movie. Or they right. do like two guys in yeah, blue jeans and a T-shirt sitting on a sofa talking. You know, that's that's like the the ultimate low budget kind of thing. And I aspired to try and make trouble with my business, something a little more ambitious. So the culmination of moving out here and giving myself permission to start directing and, and acting on my own thing really became that. And my love of, you know, forties and fifties noir just naturally grew out of it. So it was yeah. very organic. Now, what is it about film noir that you like so much? You know what I like so much is it's one of the pure, it's like comedy. Comedy, you can tell the truth wrapped in a genre. You can be very honest because you get a laugh. With with film noir, the attitude about, about human beings, about human nature, you can be honest. You can be brutal about the beauty of it. It can look gorgeous and at the same time be the most sinister human behavior you can possibly imagine. It, it, it actually is one of the most truthful things to me in that... You have a, everybody has a friend who's like heading for a brick wall and is like, look, this girl is not good for you. Do not go out with her. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm not going to do it. And you see him heading for the brick wall. They hit that brick wall and just blow up and it destroys them. And film noir can tell the truth about that. It's one of the few films, you know, of genres that where I'm like, you know what? The women in that are very powerful because yeah. they're they're using their feminine energy to do this. But also the guys are like knights in this kind of, I call it like knights in, in rusted armor. You know, they're kind of world weary and they talk, they're, they're cleverer than you would be in real life. But then they, there are these guys that fall for it and, they, and they'll, they'll go all the way to the end of the line. And to me, film noir is a, is a perfect marriage of style and attitude, but it's kind of uniquely American, which I also like. Yeah. It's funny how film noir started out as a French term as well, I believe. Yeah, I, it was saddled with that. I think, you know, the French evaluated it because, you know, the people making it didn't know they were making it. They were just trying to, you know, they're like, okay, I've got, you know, 60,000 bucks. How do I make a movie? But I think once you look back, like any great art, you look back in retrospect, you're like, you know what? You guys were all on this similar kind of vein and you were all cross-pollinating and like lighting styles and, you know, raked angles and all this different stuff, but also the attitude and the scripts and, and femme fatales and all of it became a genre. And yeah, it's just perfect. You just film noir. It's like the blackness of all the little things that, you know, the human soul are exposed in this beautiful format where you can have gorgeous photography and at the same time sinister. Yes. Now, it, is there something just about that time period as well, the 30s and 40s, that you like so much? Um, I personally do, only because there was a lot more clarity. Like, you know, men were men, women were women. And, mm -hmm. and one thing that I loved about the idea of trouble was, and you'll know this now that you've seen it, yep. it could only happen in the 40s because forensics 
was not as advanced as it is now. So, like, you couldn't blood type or get somebody's gene things. You couldn't check, the, you know, somebody's blood to see, oh, wait, this was a woman, this is a man, whatever. You, you didn't know. So information was more valuable than things. And so to me, I was like, oh, wow, that's an interesting thing. Film noir, we're like, everybody's always after the Maltese Falcon or after the Diamond or after this or that. But actually... Back then, information, it was much more difficult to have it travel. It could be held, you know, you could have you could have information on somebody that was priceless. And I was like, you know what? I wrote backwards from the plot where I was like, if somebody wanted to commit a murder and frame somebody and do this or that, the information wouldn't travel and the forensics couldn't, you couldn't send in a CSI group and right. go, no, actually, this is what happened. And I thought, you know what? It has to be the 40s. So why not do it? What is it? This is fun. You'll you'll like this because I know you're a fan of the era. And the, oh yeah. And the stuff. I, when I when I looked at it, I went, okay. If somebody took a book off the shelf and just was like, oh, Dashiell Hammett, and read it, what was it that was good about it that you can read it now and it's still good? It's not that it was like, oh, it's because it's the '40s or whatever. It's like, no, that book was good anytime. It happens to have grown out of that attitude of that period. But it's perfect in its kind of construction as a genre. And I'm like, no, that book would still be good. Oh, yeah. So, oh, so yeah. I wanted to make the film as if, and the best compliment I ever got is we showed it in a festival one time. Somebody walked by the thing, and I'm sitting in the back listening. And I just saw this lady like go in, and she goes, oh, I wonder what old movie are they showing in here for the thing? And I'm like, yes, because, you know, my film was playing in black and white up there. And, it, and I caught the style. You know, and I caught the, right. the attitude and the, and the dialogue. And she was like, I don't think I've seen this old movie. What is this? And I'm like, that's it. Yeah. You, yeah. I Because th you did it on a budget of $120,000. That's correct. Now, how did you swing it with... And that's that's hardly anything at all in this day and age for making movies. Well, first off, I hired the uh, the cheapest guy I knew, which was me. Mm -hmm. um, I you know I ate a lot of what would be considered like above the line. Um, I co-wrote it. I wanted kind of a female point of view, and it's very rare to have that in a film noir. Yeah. So the femme fatale in it, Brittany, is an old old friend of mine, and I said, "Hey, I've got this idea." Can we work on it and work on the dialogue? Give me feminine logic, you know, to this, yeah. fe this, this femme fatale. So she and I wrote the thing. And of course, you know, we're not on the clock there. So I'm saving money. So it doesn't cost anything to have a good idea. And where, where it really made sense is we did, we value engineered the way we did it. Mike Smith is a very good friend of mine who also is very good at visual effects. And I know how to shoot visual effects. There's 2,000 composite visual effects in the movie, which is more than the first Star Wars. And every shot in it is a visual effect. There's either, a, you know, set extensions yeah. and, you know, it's things that you just, because L.A. doesn't exist like that anymore. You don't have cable cars anymore in L.A. You don't have, you know, we couldn't get into those things. And I thought, okay, where I'm going to spend my money is two places. I'm going to get decent equipment to shoot it because, you know, you got to do that. You got to feed people. Right, you know, you got to right. throw money at your actors. And, and because I'm an actor, I, I knew great people where I'm like, oh, I could hear Jordana's voice when I was writing The Matriarch because she has this old school voice where she's like, yes, I'm not amused. And I'm like, yes, that's her. So I, I found all these great people, including Vernon Wells, who were friends that were willing to throw down and do it. And the money was spent getting it in the can. 
And then once I was able to get it into post, everything was done in-house between me and Mike, except for a sound mix and some music, which also kind of I supervised. I was like, this is, I did all the spotting myself, you know, found all the music cues I wanted. I was like, I want Bernard Herman. I want this sound. I want Jerry Goldsmith here. All that was kind of just me on my own time. You know, time is money. Yeah. And then... Um, we were able to make it for that amount of money because of the kindness of the, the people that saw that I was serious. I wanted to do something good. And, and I was like, you know what, on all these indies, a lot of them are crappy. You do, you throw down your best stuff and then like, they don't cover it right. Like they don't get the close ups. They don't cover people's performance. They knew I would have their back. Like there would be usable stuff. It's like, look, you use it on your reel, do whatever you need to do, but I'm going to make this movie. So at that, at that price point, it's ridiculously low and it was ridiculously ambitious because there's 23 speaking parts, like yeah. parts in that. You know, most yes. people make a movie like with four. And, and so I think the kindness of, of all the people that, that stepped up and helped, but also Mike and I worked on it every day for two and a half years, like literally till about two, three in the morning, making sure that the, you know, the, the image, you know, quality was good, making sure that the composites were done, you know, we did our own color correction, color grading. I edited it, you know, with Mike. Right. So, okay. Just so for the people all of those, know. yeah, if we, to be honest, if we build for that and we had to bill out for the visual effects, the visual effects would have been half a million bucks. Yeah. I just want to make sure that people know when you refer to Mike, Mike is. Mike Smith. He's the uh, executive producer with me. We, we own Luminactus, which is the company that produced it. Okay. Now, I think the best special effect in this movie is the relationship, the dialogue, the back and forth between you yes. and Brittany Powell, who is your co-star and one of the co-writers. And yeah. everybody, everybody knows who Brittany Powell is because yep. of the work that she, she did um, in the past decade or so. Um, absolutely how did how did how did you get uh britney powell to to be a part of this <laughs> i know she i mean she goes all the way back to airborne and xena and everything um she is uh um, genetically engineered to do this and she and i have incredible chemistry we've done 10 productions together in some form where we've either been cast together or it's something we initiated a couple other series. We did this thing called safety geeks. The way I met her was on a commercial audition. I was sitting over at the audition and she's sitting there a couple, couple people down and I was making some, you know, comments, you know, whatever kind of sarcastic comments or something like that. And I hear this like <laughs> giggle and I'm looking over and I'm like, yeah. it's Brittany with that beautiful profile and the whole thing. And she just leaps right in and, and we just start talking. And then at the end of it, I'm like, okay, well, hey, great to meet you. And I'm thinking, you know, what what chance do I have? So I walk out and I go into my car and I hear this pull up to my car and I look over and it's Brittany in her car and she goes, you didn't even ask for my number. Like, we're wow. doing stuff. I'm stalking you. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So I gave her my number and this was like 2007, I think, maybe mm -hmm. 2007. And we started working on stuff together. Then we became really close friends. Then, you know, it just grew out of that where it's like, hey, I, I want to make this movie and who better to do this? And if you want a window on what it's like to to 
rehearse with us or be with us, those two characters in that chemistry, those that's like playing tennis. She's a pro. Right. So when she hits that ball over, I hit that ball back. And we have a great chemistry together. Like the, the the love scenes are effortless. The the comedy, you never as a director, I never had to go. Okay, now here's why this is funny, or this is why this is good. She yeah. was like, yeah, got it. Then she'd surprise me by adding to it. Right. There's this wonderful moment. I you probably know what I mean. Yeah. There's this incredible moment where she even when she first comes in and she's Jennifer, this the blonde. She's like, do you remember my name? Huh. <laughs> There's like mm -hmm. a little pause to it. I'm like, yeah, I remember your name. And she just gives this little snark to it that originally we hadn't rehearsed. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to roll with this. And we just rolled with the scene. At the end of it, the crew was like, that's it. <laughs> you're you're yeah. not going to get more real than that. That was perfect. Because the thing is, is that you guys have some kind of bogey and Bacall, Nick and Nora from the Thin Man thing going on. Was that like, was that intentional? Absolutely. And, and, I'm, we're both so grateful that we just happen to have that, 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 yeah, there is, there's this kind of just, you just think Tom and Brittany, those two characters, like they belong together. There's something about them. Uh, I, we watched it recently for the first time in a long time. We went to a film festival, it was the LA right. crime and film festival. And we both were sitting there next to each other and we both went, those two up there, you can tell they like each other. Like, there's just something about it that, you, you know, a lot of movies are manufactured. Like, I hate it when I watch a movie and then at the very end, suddenly, like, the dude turns to the girl and is like, I love you. You know, and they just start making out and you're like, no, no, no. These two were doing foreplay for, like, an hour already. Yeah. Looking at each other. And I, and I like that about us. You know, there, there is that banter and you feel like it's a battle of, like, equals, but it's like, female and male energy coming together and that's kind of cool she doesn't have to act like you know a dude and i don't have to be a weak guy for her to look strong right and i kind of like that right there because there was something about your character very strong very masculine unapologetic but at the same time deeply flawed and a little vulnerable and in the yes. beginning of the film i i mean I, I, what do we want to tell people about the plot or, or the MacGuffin of the movie? Because I feel as if we sort of like skipped over that. What is, what is the MacGuffin of of the film? You know what I my distillation, like the elevator version of this, is it's a story of a guy Roland Drake, and he's basically being evicted from his own life, and he falls in love with uh, sisters. And one of them ends up dead, and the other one wants to kill him. And ultimately, it's about it's about everyone who has a friend who's heading for that wall and is going to hit it. And Drake's going to go all the way to the end of the line to find out that information is far more valuable than things. Yeah. And there's a dynamic with Britney's character uh -huh. that I think that it's this one of those things where it's just like... Um, it's sort of like Kaiser Soze. You don't want to tell people the ending of the movie. And the thing is... This is true. It's yeah. it's sort of like one of those things where it's like you can't wait for somebody to see it so you can start talking about it. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that's kind of cool about it is because it's about character and what's kind of revealed and there's kind of some fun stuff that gets dropped in that's a little twisted and you're like, oh, okay. Because for a while you're like, where is this going? You yeah. kind of can't talk about it. But to me, 
you know, film noir is more of like a why done it than a who done it. Right. So, so the you know the why I guess you and I could talk about would be why why is there this deep sort of vein in human nature where you know her character wants what she wants and there's almost this kind of like why did you make me fall in love with you now I gotta right. do stuff you know I gotta I gotta compromise something and I I don't you know and then with him. It's like a dog on a bone. It's like we've all had things where we feel like, okay, I know this is bad news. I'm no stepping into it, but he's like, he's good at his job. And he get, if he could redeem himself, maybe that redemption is like, maybe she's not what I'm thinking. Maybe I'm, right. you know, there's a couple of times where there, every line in that thing I really thought about. Like, there's even a line where he goes, like you and your mom keep saying, I'm not that good of a detective. Well, he doesn't believe that. And that very fact that he is that good is what can undo you. Right. Because you're like, you know what? I'm going to find this stuff out. And then you find it out and you're like, God, I was right. Why did I have to be right? Exactly. You know, it's like, he, it was so freaking obvious. I could have had this beautiful blonde, but I'm going all the way to the end of the line. And I'm like, nah, you know what? It's not going to fly. And the thing is, it, you know, here's the thing. It's like, I know Jennifer is not a good person. Yes. But she's so likable. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to believe the fact that she's yeah. such a bad person. Yeah. Now, isn't that true? That's true in real life. And you know what? It's a tribute to Brittany Powell. Yeah. That as, you know, she got challenged by this movie. You know, this is not an eye candy movie. That I don't know why I lost you for a second. It might be Skype. Red flag number two, that if you just look at it logically, you're like, well, that's a flag. There's a flag. Right. But, but she's so charming and so sexual and so just like, all right, I'll do it. All right, I'll go this far. All right. You know, and she, there's a couple times where she kisses Drake and she's like, come on, you, you trust me, right? Right. You trust me. <laughs> and and you can see in Drake's face, he's like, no, <laughs> I don't trust you, but you're hot, you know, and I'm going to go for it. Right. And, and that's a tribute to her intelligence she has this great intelligence to the character where it's like you know in a way it's a lot better than somebody's a mustache twirler or if you had a girl you're like oh man i could not fall for that but you're like it's britney powell right i'm gonna go there and then when she does what she does you're like okay well yeah that happened but still and yeah had, that happened and but you had still. it coming you had it coming <laughs> you just admit it yeah you had it coming because yep because and I had it coming because I got sucked yep. into the movie. And the thing is, yep. I knew it was going to end. I'm not spoiling anything. I knew it was going to yep. end the way it ended. And I felt yep. I felt as if, I, I felt very much like Roland Drake at the very end of the movie because I trusted Brittany or Jennifer. I am not sure. And I, I don't know where Jennifer and Brittany begins and ends. But I want to also mm -hmm. talk about another character who sure. every time he's on the screen, he scared the hell out of me. I know it's just a movie. I bet, uh -huh. I bet he's a sweet guy in real life, but we got to talk about <laughs> Vernon Wells and Detective yeah. Barry Tate, who's kind of like, he's like every, uh, he's like every good villain, whereas yes. he's a bad guy, but you got to fear and respect him. What can, what can we say about Vernon Wells? You know what? It's interesting you say that. Like every to me as a as somebody who makes films, every villain is the hero of his own story. 
And Vernon has been able to tap that for decades where you he means it. Like, he believes it. In real life, super sweet guy. But he's able to tap into this deep vein of what is corrupt. Like, he's like the Caligula of L.A. in this movie. Where it's yeah. like, look, everything that passes through here passes. You know, I tip my cut because I'm protecting you. I'm doing this for you. You know, and it's and it yeah. and there's something there's a wonderful unaware el- arrogance, but elegance to him. And what drew him to this playing Detective Tate in this is years ago he was relied on for the physicality. You know, like he was a brutal man, like as Wes in, in Road Warrior or Commando. Yeah. He was a a physical man as a villain, and that physicality came out. And when I presented him with the script, we went to this restaurant and we sat down. And he's like. I read the script and it's actually good. And one thing that's interesting to me is I'm a man of words. Like I menace with what I'm saying and how I carry myself. And I don't necessarily have to have total physicality. It's a little bit more Shakespearean. It's a little bit more like what he says in a low sinister voice. And he's like, I want to explore that. And I was like, I would love for you to do it. I always wanted you to do it. Um, you'll love that. This is a absolutely true. But if you put it in a movie, you'd be like, BS. Yeah. When I first moved to L.A., I got a job doing Christmas help at Circuit City. Uh-huh. And, and I'm terrible at that. That's the only time I did retail. But I, I moved out here and, you know, you're an artist. You got to eat. You do whatever. Right. So he walks in. He walks in early 90s, I think, late 80s maybe. No, early 90s. And um, he's the first celebrity I ever saw in L.A. He walks into the Circuit City in Van Nuys. And I walk up to him, this kid, little punk kid, and I'm like, Vernon Wells, I, the first you know, VHS I ever bought was Road Warrior. He's like, hey, kid. And I go, one day, I'm going to do a movie with you. I moved to L.A. to do movies. And he looks at me, and he's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly, exactly how he said it. And flash forward 23 years later, yeah. I looked up at him when he's beating me on top of a rooftop. And I go, Vernon. There was this kid who was 21 years old who told you, I'm going to make a movie with you. And he's like, holy hell. <laughs> we're talking about it. And I was like, it made my, you were the guy that 23 years ago, I said, one day I'm going to make a movie. You were the first celebrity that I recognized ever in LA. Yeah. And here I am making a feature with you. And that just sums him up because he was like, you know what? It was good. I liked you. And Tate is such a corrupt character that he is relevant like with all the all the stuff that's going on with you know law enforcement and trusting the police and all this stuff well in the 40s as you know yeah the lapd could be run like a gang i mean look at how they did la confidential where it's right. like hey you pick and choose what happens well it's relevant it's still relevant and i thought the whole thing is embodied in vernon wells because he's such an imposing figure but he's calculating in fact I purposely made chess analogies with him because instead of being just, you know, a sledgehammer, this guy's figuring three moves ahead. He's right. like, no, I'm, I've got your families. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. We've got a warrant. I'll think of something. Right. You know, <laughs> and, and, and Vernon resonated with that. And he brought all that, you know, from, from just his persona into this movie. And you know, he had never done like a noir period thing. So he was like, I'm I love this idea. And I love him in the role because when he needs to be physical, that he sold it. That right. guy can just, he can throw a punch, he can do whatever. But he was at his best 
when you just put that camera in, you're just going on that face. That face is like Mount Rushmore. Right. And you just go in on his face, and he's like, checkmate. <laughs> and you're like, okay, you've got me. Right. And and, you know? and the, the thing- he did that in one take. He did that as a single take thing I going just, in on him in the movie. And, and just that's what a pro he is. And I thought he was going to kill you. I really yes. did. I thought he was going yeah. to kill you. Um, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> But um, who else do we want to talk about here in this movie that we're skipping over here? Because like you said, you have 20 or more speaking parts. And yeah. you're, you're also really generous with some really great lines with a lot of these these other characters. Who el- I'm looking at the IMDb page, and I'm not sure where else. Who else do we want to talk yeah. about here? Well, there's a... There's a couple. There's one who's probably the most uh, seeped in the tradition of noir and the literary noir is Lou McDonald, right. that's played by Dave Beeler. Every one of his entrances and exits is theatrical. He's either flipping a fedora on his head, mm-hmm. you know, which, but again, I had him rehearse for a long time and we got that on the first take. He like gets it with his foot. Whoa, that's it. He. He is kind of like a, a, a David Niven type character. He would right. have been like in the Thin Man, William Powell type character. He, to me, is what appearances were more important than substance. And he has the he has a character arc in it. Actually, he's one of the ones that, as you know, having seen it, right. at the end of it, he's a different person than he was at the beginning. Right. And to, to Beeler's credit, I, he and I... We used to do live shows. We did over a hundred live shows since 1999 to must have been about three years ago. We stopped doing live stuff, but he right. and I have performed together for decades. So we have a shorthand. So when we're circling each other, like when he comes over to to Drake's house and Drake's, you know, kind of disoriented and waking up, that little banter and stuff, even even stuff that feels improvised, everything was scripted, every little beat, and Dave was able to execute it. And he has some of the best lines where he's like, hey, anybody you know? You know, or, right. or the, the the thing at the diner where he flips the coin and then walks out and it just perfectly stays flipped, you know, as it's going out. The, I was generous with lines to him because I wanted Dave's theatrical entrances and exits to reflect what other characters said about Lou McDonald, which is he's a he's a mighty fine man in print. You know, right. he, he cuts quite a fine figure, and that what he goes. I'm the guy with the gun, with the nice suit, with the car. Isn't that what's important? You don't want your lawyer. You know, you don't want your lawyer pulling up in a Yugo. You want your lawyer to pull up in a BMW. You know, right. you know he's that guy. And and so I break just like you know Belloc was the reflection of Indiana Jones, right? You know, given different motivations, uh, Lou McDonald is really Roland Drake successful. Yeah, we. I don't know if you can hear this or not. We um, I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> Skype Skype keeps cutting out on us, and this is one of the reasons why yeah. I'm, it's not it's not my favorite platform anymore. So, um, did, did you lose me, uh, during any of just, that? No, just a little bit. I just, um, I'll, okay. I'll be able to put it all together later. Um, okay. So I, 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 I once again, you've talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I've, I've, I'm not taking, I'm not taking a tally or anything like that, but the thing is, um, that's one of my favorite films. I think that's my favorite film of all time. And you yeah, even mentioned it. It really is. What is it about? a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark that not to get us too sidetracked for a minute, right. 
Well, I'll tell you, there's a direct correlation. One of the things in my first production meeting, I said, you know, w- you know, we don't have the resources and I'm not even going to pretend to have the, the kind of the talent level that produced Raiders. But what I loved about Raiders was it took the genre of the movie serial and it took the adventure like, you know, what w- w- was a, a great classic tale and it resynthesized it. And I went. Wouldn't it be interesting to do for noir what they did with Raiders, which is just go back to what was good about it. Don't, you know, don't make the, you know, winking nod that's like, hey, I'm in an adventure serial. Just make the serial. Like Raiders right. is the most sincere down to, you know, just exactly what made those good. The cliffhangers, the attitude of Harrison Ford's character. You notice they didn't need a bunch of big stars in it to make it work you didn't need dustin hoffman to be uh one of the characters they used just good actors which is what we did you know to fill out all the 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 other parts but the thing about raiders is it had heart you it it was not an insulting movie It, it was a smart film that was lean and it used the genre but it put you know spielberg's twist on it and in the case of trouble all i was trying to do was go well if i had an opportunity to do that First thing I wouldn't do is like, I wouldn't go, hey, I'm in a film noir and kind of wink at it. I'd be like, no, man, let's jump in. This is our Raiders, you know? Right. Let's make this guy, this is a guy who should be comfortable next to Mitchum. He he should have that attitude. The story should have twists and stuff like a noir. For me, Raiders is like the benchmark of a sincere version of a film done with its own new spin. But the reason we love Raiders is it is it is classic. It's timeless in its execution. It doesn't get dated at all. And all of everyone means it. Everybody's believing what they're doing. And they didn't have a lot of money. I no. think I, I was reading about it because I'm a kind of a Raiders freak. And I was like, most of the studios even said no, even though it was George Lucas and Spielberg. They're right. like, I don't know. Well, what is it about Noah's Ark? You know, what, what, you know? And, and so it was a lean film with a very small budget, but it worked because it, it completely bought into how those felt, you know, it, it was a better version than you remembered of the original series. Right. If that makes sense. The original serials were not as good but this took it to that next level and you were like, yeah, this feels right. And what I love about Raiders is when you walk out of there, you feel like Indiana Jones. Right. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, it was my uncle Bob who said, Eric, I think that you're a little too excited. I think you're a little too obsessed with Star Wars. There's yep. there's things going on other than Star Wars. You look at this Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. The guy who plays Han Solo is not even so into Star Wars. He's able to do. Here, we're going to send you to the movie theater. Let us know what you think. And then they, and then they <laughs> did great. and then they did the same thing a couple of weeks later with The View to a Kill. See? Oh, he, that's great. Yeah. You know, and that's what got me uh, hooked into the whole, the, I mean, the period in and of itself. I love, it. I love, I love, the, it. I love the period. Um, I do too. Everything. I mean, even, I mean, the, the way that they tried to overcome the bad stuff, the way that they tried to overcome the depression, uh, prohibition, and then the rise of fascism. And then mm-hmm. they created a brand new fresh world at, you know, out of the ashes of, yeah, uh, of, of world war two. 
And yep. it's literally it literally it's a period where it literally changed the world. Yeah. Um and it's there's something about we keep looking back at that period as the quote golden era of America. Yes. Which I think yeah. I like it. it well, because it was unfettered with a lot of like the the problems and gray areas and anxieties and social things that are happening now. There was a little more clarity. There was a little more sharpness to it. And, and I'll tell you, you, you talk about going to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. The hat I'm wearing uh, towards the end of the film mm-hmm. is a hat that I brought out with me. I bought that hat in 1982 after seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark. I bought that hat as a kid to be Indiana Jones. Like I, I put like my mom's eyeliner on for stubble, uh-huh. and I wore that hat. So that that hat is my Indiana Jones hat from 1982 that I'm wearing as Roland Drake. That, that's amazing. And every, yeah. every daily hat efficient, I'm sorry, every daily hat wearer and yep. everyone says it's either, it's either Humphrey Bogart or Harrison Ford. Yeah. One of either the, one. One yeah. of the two. And now, now I, some of my friends, my, some of my closest friends are hat makers from all over the world. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that what I because th- this is tough because I mean again I don't want I want I want everybody to see this film. Oh, thank you. And I want everybody to go see this film for really what it is. Um, it is it's a low budget indie uh, indie film. I almost said Indiana Jones film. <laughs> it's an indie film. Yeah, it is. That um, the script is phenomenal. Um everything going on in the film there's some real chemistry going on between the two of you but though i wanted to ask you like what what do you do after trouble is my business where do you where do you go from here oh that's interesting um well the best thing that has happened is for years um people have said well you know you've done all this other stuff but you've never made a feature and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But the door that opened was, it's always the conversation now, what's your next film? Instead of, well, you haven't made one, kid. You know, you're not ready. I don't know if you could make a feature or whatever. It eliminated, once I made Trouble and I went to the film festivals or film markets or distributors, they went, oh, this is actually pretty good. Right. Um, what do you want to do next? And so I've put together a slate, including a follow-up uh, noir film, uh, which I can tell you the title of. It's called The Black Book. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with the with this film out and it doing pretty well for the distributor, um, particularly the black and white version has right. really found traction. Uh, the black and white version you can actually see on Amazon Prime right now. Yep. And, and that's that's really my preferred version. I also have a color version out, which I had to do uh, for physical media and some streaming services. And I, I tried to make it, you know, Chinatown kind of looked right, but it it works in black and white better for me. The next step is I want to explore these genres with more resources. I'm putting together something actually with Vernon, um, to try and raise some, some serious money to make a more ambitious, uh, story. But I want to make, I have no pretensions to make you know high art or anything like that what i want to do is really entertaining genre films that you don't feel insulted watching that are smart and you know i I want to explore action 
more film noir, some science fiction. I have a, a science fiction film right now uh, called Island in the Stars, and that uh, is a classic old school, uh, like a Jules Verne meets Treasure Island right. kind of feel, but it's all set in a steampunk world. Mm-hmm. And and I want to do stuff like that. You know, that that's my, my <laughs> Valhalla would be to just be able to explore great genre movies done very reasonably, like not swinging for the fences. I have very realistic, you know, ideas. You know, I don't need to make a hundred million. I'd love to make one, a hundred million dollar film. But frankly, you know, give me $10 million and I'll give you three movies that are really smart, really well acted and don't need to make a ton of money to be profitable. Right. And, and you can enjoy them. You know, like, like I look back at like even the eighties and nineties where it's like, you know, Terminator was made for 7 million bucks. You know, these are really great low budget movies. For Star Wars was a low budget indie film. They made that and for nine million dollars back in nineteen seventy six. I know. And and it's amazing. And the and the thing is, it's quality. It didn't need a lot of stars. And and it was a great genre movie. That's a Tom Conkle type film. Right. You know, if 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 someone let me off the chain, I'm like you. I have the same taste like you. I, I we sounds like we have very similar backgrounds. Right. All all I need to go next level is the resources. I'm willing to put in the time. I know how to do all of the jobs because I've been forced to do them. But I would much rather collaborate with really gifted and talented people to go next level with it. It's like I want a full orchestral score and I want to work with the best. And I want to, you know, Take the take the way that I shoot with actors to the next level and work with people and have time, you know, to really, really work out more complicated things and more interesting things. So for me, I have six films already that I want to make that are already like if you said, Tom, I want to make them. I could be in pre-production on them in the next six weeks. Yeah, because, Tom, I just won the Powerball. And I, I, I have a, I have a billion dollars. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So. I, I, uh, I have a couple of PDFs to send you, <laughs> <laughs> and I can make you more money. Yeah. I, no, but here's the thing. I mean, my wife and I had this conversation. Um, and you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to get um, Brittany and my wife together and just watch them talk for a couple of hours oh, over drinks. Great. That would be great. That, that would be great. Um. I, Brittany and I just went out with friends. We had like like Mike uh, Mike Smith and uh, Callie, uh, this other girl that we know. Yeah. And Brittany and I went out, and Callie and Mike were like, "My God, like we're around you, and like the pheromones are going, like we're laughing." Yeah. And Brittany's such a character that we are like literally our sides hurt, and we were just referencing all this stuff and going back and forth. And I look over at Brittany and like we got to do more stuff together. And you she's really like, do. Uh, yeah. You really do. <laughs> Because yeah. I was convinced while watching this movie, you guys were actually in love. I re- oh, I was convinced of that. Um, but the thing, well, about- I, I do love her to death, and she loves me. But I'm, I'm really flattered that you felt the chemistry. Because right. to be honest, it's like telling a magician you believed their uh, trick. You know, it's like if you believe that these two love each other and that there's chemistry there, right. it means that the real chemistry between us translated, and that is so hard. When you got a guy standing there with a microphone and a donut in his mouth watching you <laughs> to make, you know what I mean? To make that yeah. come across and you felt the relationship between she and I is real. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, I love her to death. I think, I think 
if we could get that documented and you bought it, I think that's yeah. the best compliment possible because you're like, yeah, these two belong together and we feel the same way. It's like those who care, they belong together. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is it getting back to what you were talking about? My wife and I had this conversation about autonomy. We uh-huh. probably spent the entire weekend talking about the concept of what does it mean to be an artist and remain autonomous, meaning mm-hmm. that you're not going to sell out for the big buck and do what somebody else tells you to do. You're going to go for, you're going to go out on a limb to do the yeah. best work you can while at the same time not compromising your vision for somebody yeah. who is paying the bills. And that's hard. That I, is hard. And you know what? I always say this, like people go, well, what's your big wow? You know, my, my friend, Mike Neal, who does coaching and stuff, he says, what's your big wow? And I said, to have an idea on Monday and be starting it on Friday is the ultimate artist dream where, where there isn't that kind of, oh, but I got to make sure and I got to compromise this. And, you know, but the casting's got to look like a Benetton commercial and it's right. got to be this and I've got to do that. It's like, no, I want to do this. I'm going to make this. It's going to be something that I actually want to see. And that's the big difference is I think a lot of artists make things that they think other people want to see. So you're you're kind of guessing, you know, I, well, I don't really like this horror movie, but, you know, I'm making it for horror fans. Well, that's no way to make a movie. No, that's an awful, you know, way. yeah, but 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 to have autonomy as an artist, which, you know, I've kind of been an outsider my whole life, even though. I live here and this is how I make my living. I'm definitely not like in with the guys, you know, like, like able to do it. I've always had to pick myself up and just do it myself. And one of the things that allows um, you to be creative for autonomy is if I'm answerable to myself as an audience, then the only compromises I have to make is the frame that I put around the art, you know, the limitation that I have does force me to be creative and do whatever because you know I don't have infinite amounts of money. But if I did have autonomy and enough resources, then you wouldn't have the stress of like I can't do it because I don't have any money. But you also wouldn't have the kind of well I got everything, so you know yeah. like, surround myself with yes people. So I think to be autonomous is is a blessing when you have discipline, but also you have. Um, an ability not to compromise your vision for simply commercial or, or financial reasons yeah. or worse, you know how that is answering to someone who is less qualified to tell you what, how to tell a story or what to do or what your work is. And yet they hold the purse strings and, 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 you know, it, the people that sell it aren't necessarily the best people to make what they're selling. Right. And that's true of any industry. You you wouldn't want someone who's great at making automobile billboards to necessarily make the car. No, <laughs> no, you know. But but that's that that maps across to to m- movies pretty easily now. You know, like the people that are selling the movie often have an awful lot of say at the very beginning of what gets done in the movie, and that you know, so, there's some brilliant people that do that, but then some people you know they're not actors or they're not writers or they're they don't know what it's like to to have to craft a story everyone has an opinion you know which is great but when they're saying well you know we engineered this around this you know this is a bucket and we've got a picture on it so we need blue in the movie you know (laughs) it's like yeah you got to have the letter y 
you know, because we have a Y on the bucket. And it's sort of like, well, then that's how you end up with half the movies we go to. And we're like, how did this get made? Like, was this for anybody? This is the movie no one asked for. Right. And, and, and so my big dream would have that, you know, Monday have a great idea that I would want to see and the people I work with get behind and I get them energized. And by Friday, we're like, hey, let's call, you know, call everybody up. Let's do this. Yeah. And we can. I, now, I want to ask you a difficult question. Okay. Because um, I went to your IMDb page. Sure. And, and, of, and of course, in doing the research, um, and I, I read the synopsis, there are a lot of trolls out there. Yes. There's a lot. Well, how, how do you deal with trolls who, I don't, I, the people who said awful things about your movie, I don't think they saw it. Or if they, they saw it, they didn't see it the way I saw it. How do you handle that kind of criticism? And I, and I, and I ask this of other artists all the time. But for you specifically, yeah, who did well, something that's a labor of love, and I don't, I don't hard. mean to put, yeah, yeah. Well, here, here is the thing. Um, I, I with those some of those comments, I, I think I made a miscalculation myself. I um, found that the film was being pirated. Uh, it was being bit torrented, right? And I went on the sites, some of which were linked to IMDb. And I sent a digital takedown notice to try and get it because one of them had a hundred thousand downloads of my movie oh, for so free. Wow! And uh, yeah, which is very you know. Imagine if I had a buck for each one of those. Right. So I identified myself as the uh, maker of the film in April of last year and said, "Listen, listen, you know, I worked really hard on this, and you know, you're not sticking it to the man or a company. You're sticking it to a dude who made a movie." Right. Well, here's the problem. That's linked to the IMDb page. If you look at the majority, the vast majority of the one star and the trolling that I got, right. that's from the people that were angry on the torrent site um, that pirated the movie. They decided to um, troll me, I guess. Yep. And so a lot of them that just hadn't seen the movie or had seen it and didn't want to have it do anything because I, I got it taken down. And, and I reported their site, and it probably impacted them. I noticed within a, if you look at the dates on them, they're all around that date. It is. I, <laughs> I'm I, looking at it right now. Yeah, it's all I, it's yeah. all around that date. I think what happened was I brought it on myself by standing up for myself in that one area. I think I hurt myself because you know anyone can log in on it, and I did find it through the IMDb link. And so I think what they did is they're like, you know what, buddy, fine. You know, screw you. I don't like your movie. Your movie sucks and all this kind of stuff. So when I read it, I, you know, it hurts. You know, like, oh, that's too bad. I, I'm sorry you didn't like it. So, you know, other people have liked it. But the vast majority of critics that have seen it have liked it. And that's great. You know, right. some people don't like it. Some people do. But those personal ones on like IMDb, I think I brought on myself because I made a stink yeah. about it. And, and we couldn't. We couldn't get the thing taken down. It, it's if you if you put in torrent and trouble is my business, you'll see five Google pages worth of places you can download the movie and pirate it. And and they hit me pretty hard. They, I got a bunch of negative comments there within the month that I reported the site. Exactly. So, so I think I kind of did it to myself. And I, I you know lesson learned is I should have been an anonymous. I should have anonymously yeah. uh, reported it, but 
you know, in my fervor, I was like, look, my, I'm Tom. I made this movie and you guys are ripping me off. Right. And it's pretty easy to put in Tom Conkle and IMDb and flame, flame the movie. Right. And it got, it got flamed with some one star stuff and you can't get it taken down. I noticed there's some reviews on there from some sincere people. Bless their heart. They wrote nice things. Right. You know, that they liked it. But I, I would think some people aren't going to like it. You know, only enough need to like it. And I know it's good. I I enjoy it. And I do think I brought it on myself by confronting some of the people online. And you're anonymous online. That could be the same guy writing three bad reviews for me, you know. Right. So so I I ticked off some people that were pirating the movie. And that that was a lesson that I learned. Who, Who would have thought? You know, that I, I never occurred to me that someone would flame or troll or just start putting bad reviews up because I personally said, look, take the movie down. But here's the thing. I, you can go. I, I'm looking right now to see because I know it's on Vimeo. Is it? I'm sorry. What was what was the platform you sent it to me to watch? Oh, that that's my private screener, though. That That's a uh, okay. that's a passworded one. Right. Um, it's on uh, iTunes and it's on Amazon. The majority, I think, that ripped it off, downloaded it off iTunes. Um, and then it's on Vudu and Fandango Now. Right. And I think a couple other sites like that. And um, also the Blu-ray and stuff got ripped. It's on a Blu-ray. And so it got ripped onto a bunch of torrent sites. And it went up on most of the torrent sites, I think, in April of last year. And that's when those comments came up. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. You go. You go to Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. Yep. Um. What is that? That's that's four out of five stars. It, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. You know. I mean, that people that actually bothered to write something seem like they liked it. Yeah. So that's cool. And we've won. We've won five best picture things in in festivals, which I was really grateful for. One, I even got to go back to Virginia, and we we won. Uh, and I and the place that we screened it was a block from where I was born. Yeah, that's Th- that's the stuff that matters to me. Is yeah. like you know, I made a movie that I would want to see. I'm proud of my friends in it, and uh, it always hurts when when someone doesn't like your baby. Right. But also, I have to be realistic. I can't rise and fall with it. And I know that I, I some of the negative flaming that I brought on myself. But then, uh, you know, this one guy, um, Andy Wolverton, who uh, is a big fan of film noir and rights reviews, he wrote one of the most beautiful reviews of it. He got everything. He was getting, right. like, all the references. One of those is equal to, like, 50 of the dudes where it's like, it's stunk, man. It was like bad porn. You know, and you're like, okay, well, you either didn't watch it or, you, you know, those are, those are the comments where, like, this is as bad as the Beatles. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm like, okay, y- y- not everybody's going to dig it. Cool, whatever. Because I was reading some of those awful reviews, and they were making me laugh out loud at, first of all, they were badly read or badly yeah. written. Yeah. They were badly written, and it was clear, okay, oh, my God, what did Tom do to this poor person? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, probably shouldn't have come on as tom conkle and said take my movie down but you know what they were ripping me off so whatever you gotta do what Um, you gotta do what you gotta do but i mean i you know um you know because uh we're we're getting to the to the hour mark and Uh um one of the things that i would really like for you to do is come on 
let me know what projects you're working on. Kind of like do a, an audio diary once in a while. Come on, say, hey, Eric, I got this, I got this, uh, this update I want to share. But I just, I want you oh, to know, I want you to know, I love the era. I love film noir and classic movies. And you guys stuffed all of my favorite tropes of film noir into That's this great. movie. And it's obviously, it's a loving tribute yes. to the film. It's it's obvious that you did everything you you could do to keep your autonomy and make it's look it's a really good independent film that I think that everybody who loves film noir should go and see it with the understanding this movie may not be for everybody but it's right. definitely for every film noir fan out there. Thank you. Yes, that is. Those are our people. Uh, you and I are the audience for this film. Yeah. And if we're if we're honest with each other, it's like, look, if we like it, you know, who cares? Who else? You know, it's like it's for us. And if we if we uh, enjoy it, and you're right, I tried to put as much of my heart into it as I could. Right. Um, you know, if people can watch Trouble Is My Business and show me some support on that, then I love your idea of coming on. Um, I really am putting together uh, this Island in the Stars idea with Vernon and also the Black Book, which would be a follow-up. So I would love to um, kind of enroll your show as part of it. Sure. And, and maybe we can do like a, a production diary and kind of like in the mind. And now that I know you better, I know that we're very like-minded. Yeah. It's really easy talk to you about it so uh let's do that that sounds absolutely and this is a great place to um to to drop it off I, what i want you to do is i want you to tell everybody where can we find you on social media and where can we find your movie absolutely um you can find trouble is my business um on amazon right now the black and white version is on the amazon prime video if you have amazon prime it actually will stream for you um you buy a blu-ray or dvd two disc set one with a color version and one with a black and white version uh that is available in every place from target best buy online uh amazon uh it's on itunes and then on streaming platforms, uh, you can see it on Vudu, you can see it on Fandango Now, Google Play. Um, it's available on most streaming platforms. Uh, if you want a list of them, it's on troubleismy.biz, B-I-Z. So troubleismy.biz has a listing of all the places you can see it, including cable. There's some places you can rent it on cable. And then um, on social media, New Film Noir is the twitter for the you know i'd love to hear from people when you see it you know people like you kind of sustain me as i'm, I'm writing yeah. something and you're like look i get it you know and i'm into it that kind of sustains it so i'd love to hear from people on twitter and and i would be happy to support other people's projects as well you know we got to stick together uh on instagram it's also new film noir um so all one word and uh, uh or actually it's trouble is my biz on instagram and it's new film noir on twitter Yes. So you can find me on either of those places, and I'd love to hear from you. I've got uh, trailers and behind-the-scenes stills if people are interested in, like, what was real, what wasn't real. Okay. It's funny. Tw Did I lose you? Yep. Nope. You lost me for a couple of minutes, but we we got everything. And I'm going to have uh, okay. on the on, on the Fedora Chronicles homepage 
for the uh, for the uh, for the show notes. We're going to have links to everything for you. So that's great. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You know what? I can't wait to talk to you again. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for watching the film and for getting it. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Well, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna just leave it like this. Just I'll I'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right. This has been a simulcast of the Thrower Chronicles radio show and the Diesel Punk podcast. You can find out more about us via our webpages, thefedorachronicles.com and dieselpunkpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple iTunes, Player FM, SoundCloud, and wherever podcasts can be found. Be sure to leave us a review on these platforms, and we promise we will read your comments and criticisms during our next recording. If your favorite subscription service doesn't carry the Fedora Chronicles radio show or the Diesel Punk podcast, let us know and we'll fix that as soon as we can. You can support the show by visiting our Zazzle page, zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Exactly 12.5% of every purchase you make goes to keeping this and other shows on the Fedora Chronicles network on the air. Or you can become a Patreon. Click the Patreon link on our page. And for a mere dollar a month, you will get early access to this podcast, updates on what we're doing, and so much more. Thank you for all the support in advance, and thank you to all of our listeners who have contributed already. Once again, this has been Eric Render King Fisk reminding you that this has been the Fedora Chronicles radio show from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Copyright 2019, all rights reserved. And one last time, keep your chins up and your fedoras on.